Welcome back to another edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV's NBA podcast. I'm Sam Davis along with Thomas Aiello here. Thomas, about a month left here in the NBA season uh, before the playoffs begin. Lots of exciting things for New York basketball. Of course, we've got the news of Kyrie Irving being ejected alongside Dennis Schroeder in the Nets-Lakers game Sunday night. Uh, which brings us kind of to an even bigger question here about the Nets and their injuries and uh, whether that will be an issue come playoff time for them. We're also going to get into the Knicks here, who have pleasantly surprised just about everyone all season. Another good game on, on uh, last night as well. Um, but before we kind of get into all that, I want to ask, how you doing, Thomas? Doing great, Sam. Um, back for another edition of Pick and Pod. And I believe we discussed before the show and the pre-show that this is your uh, first go-around here on Pick and Pod. Yes. Right? It yes, is. it is. Right, My so first time here. Yep. Well, welcome, neophyte Sam Davis, as the great Clyde Fraser would call you. Um, <laughs> but you know what? It's been a, it's been a dry, I want to say, like week and a half, two of the NBA, you know, as we kind of progress into this April period where it starts raining, gets a little warmer and baseball's going on. Um, the NBA doesn't get as exciting because teams just kind of wind down and the tanking teams, well, they more than likely gave up five games into the season. And now the teams that are starting to go in, you know, are we going to make the playoffs? They just kind of start to pull the plug, but then there's teams that have to willpower their way into the playoffs and fighting for playoff spots and seeding. So there are some good things to talk about, but for the most part, we're starting to wind down this illustrious season. Yeah, you know, like I said, just about a month left. I mean, we do have some exciting things. And I, I just think in general here, if you're, if you're a fan in New York basketball, or even if you're not, just being in New York right now, I will say that the next, you know, month or so will certainly be very interesting for New York basketball, both like the Nets, obviously looking to close out their, their hopes, honestly, at a, at a title. And then you look at the Knicks kind of on the other side of things rebuilding, but still in there for the fight. We're going to get into all that. But I want to start here with what happened on Saturday night, the Nets and Lakers, which was supposed to be kind of, I don't know, I think about a couple months ago, maybe was looking at the schedule in advance here and thinking that was going to be a tremendous matchup, obviously, between what would have been LeBron and AD with the Lakers and then the big three for the Nets. It turned into not any of those things at all. Obviously, uh, LeBron and AD out for the Lakers and the Nets having their injuries as well with Harden. Um, but KD and Kyrie were playing in that game, at least at the start. And then, of course, come, come the third quarter, it was a very common foul. Um, and then Schroeder came up and, and, and Irving, I'm not exactly sure who started it, but both kind of exchanged their words. They were separated, but they continued to kind of talk at each other and yell at each other from across the court. And that led to initially a technical, double technical for both sides. And then Irving was ejected. And then Schroeder was ejected shortly after that. So from an outsider's perspective, I will say it's kind of hard to tell exactly what happened just because we're not there on the court. We don't know what these guys are saying back and forth. But obviously, heated words between the both of them. Ayala, what do you think about this? What do you think about Irving and Schroeder getting ejected here in this game? Um, oh boy, Th this was such a sticky one because the Twitter uh, – I want to say timeline from Kyrie after the game is pretty, it's pretty colorful. If I'm going to be nice here, I guess it's a pretty colorful little thread. He sent out a very, um, what seemed to be angry tweet 
about a word that we cannot say. And there was this whole thing about um, term of endearment and whatever. And I guess Dennis Schroeder must have said it to Kyrie. I don't know. Was, I mean, Kyrie, not that he's not a great player, but he kind of gets mad over everything. <laughs> um, I mean, we see the, uh, the vacation stuff at the beginning of the year pulling in Dennis Rodman. He's like, oh, I'm going to go on vacation for a week. And then everyone was like, you should just retire, forfeit your contract. But he comes back and drops like 40 in three games in a row. Uh, so I understand if it gets to that point, I understand where, given where we are in society at the moment, I can understand his anger. And he doesn't kind of, I guess, want to promote that and have that be on his brand. So I understand why he went out onto Twitter and made that colorful tweet. But at the same time, you can't be fighting people on everything. I mean, I feel, I feel like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they're, they're kind of made of glass. And the great rapper 50 cents always used to say, don't ever throw rocks in the glass house because <laughs> everything will break. And a lot of people have said that before. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's just kind of how I see it. Kyrie Irving and Durant, they're both glass houses. I mean, Durant just had his social media debacle with Michael Rappaport. So you kind of go and look at, well, what are we doing here? And Dennis Schroeder, I mean, he's a nice player, but he's nowhere near the level of Kyrie. So I don't know why Kyrie had to sink to that level. I feel that they definitely could have handled it better between the two of them. But when you go to this whole uh, place, this desolate, dark, deep place, I guess, you know, you kind of blow it out of proportion and it's basketball, you know, contact, trash talking, people getting into each other's grills. That's all a part of the game, you know, and I, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. If anything, as a fan's perspective, I think it's great that they do that. But if this is coming from one side, this, this is what was said and this is how it was conveyed and exchanged. Okay. I understand, but Let's tone it down here. Let, let, let's try to just tone it down here. That's what I would say to them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I totally get, like, I'm with you. I understand, like, heat of the moment. I understand when things, you know, get heated on the basketball court because that does happen a lot. And I would say basketball, more than almost any sport, is definitely a lot of trash talk involved in the game. It's just kind of how it goes. There's a lot of back and forth. It's a physical and personal game. So I do get that. But if I'm, I mean, in this situation here, I just think Kyrie getting himself ejected from this game is, is just very immature is, is kind of what it comes down to because, you know, you know Harden, Harden's hurt. He's not there. Katie is on a minute's restriction, so he's not playing as much as he normally would be. I know it's one game in, in a long season, but still you really need to stay in this game to help your team win. That, that's the ultimate bottom line here. You know, you can't really, like you said, kind of stoop to Schroeder's level in this scenario kind of even entertain this conversation with him, which I think, I mean, we don't exactly know who started it, but it seemed like if I remember correctly, as soon as the play is called, you know, Irving starts to say something to the referee and then, and then maybe even looks at Schroeder and then that that's kind of where it begins. So yeah. it's almost as if Ir Irving, it's hard not to believe he wouldn't start this kind of confrontation. And that's kind of what it seemed like. He was almost the more an animated one kind of leading uh, the charge there. So for me, that's, that's where it comes down to kind of immaturity from Kyrie Irving's standpoint, where it's almost like, 
you need to be in this game for your team to help your team win. And it shows what happens when he left. You know, from that point, the game got out of hand and the Lakers ended up winning pretty easily. So for me, that's the bottom line is like going forward, like not only is Irving out for this game, but he's also out for personal reasons, which obviously, you know, that that's something that has happened before. It's been a consistent problem here. He's been out for personal reasons multiple times and he hasn't really been transparent about what is going on. He's going to be out for personal reasons again, I believe tonight due to that. Um, and, and that's just another kind of layer to this. Not, not only did this fight kind of put him out for, for Sunday's game and for winning that game, but it also put him out for another game in the future. And we're coming down to it here where the Nets are tied for first place. I know it's, it's a long season and not every game totally matters, but games like this in this time of year do matter. So it's important for him to stay in the game and kind of, I don't know, show a little bit more maturity there instead of kind of stooping to the level that Schroeder did. That, that's just, I don't know, I, I think that's what you need from a leader. That's what you need from a guy that's one of your superstars on the team. I also find it surprising, Sam, I, I think you might agree with me on this one, is that Kyrie Irving, if you remember in Boston, he was the lead guy, right? He was the, yep. the, the MC. He comes to Brooklyn. Kevin Durant is clearly the alpha, the 1A. Harden, I guess you can say, is the 1B, depending on what day of the week it is. Yeah. And Kyrie, I guess, is the super number two. But what I find really surprising is that not only is he not the lead guy, there's also some very good heads on shoulders on this team. Mentally uh, sound voices of reason. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Nash is a very... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Level-headed, I guess. Level-headed, yeah. I guess you could say spirited in a way. I don't know. Um, Mike D'Antoni is a pretty solid human being. Jacques Vaughn is well-respected. I mean, there's there's good heads on shoulders on this team. And you would imagine that they'd kind of go, hey, let's tone it down, make amends. You also have to, They also have to understand, this. this very likely is a finals preview. I say 75% chance that this finals matchup happens and you have to understand you need to make a good impression. Like, Hey, you know, we can do this. Like we can beat this team. If we can stick Mm -hmm. together nothing goes wrong. But when something like this happens and I look at who's on this team, like I just said, the level headed people that I just named, I go, how, how did, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. You know, how did this happen? And I, for the most part, I mean, Kyrie's been pretty focused. I mean, the vacation thing, okay, fine. But when he's on the floor, he's pretty focused. He's been a good leader. He uh, he's responds well to press. Durant, uh, when he's been in, I mean, he's been hurt for – it's kind of been mysterious. He's been very focused. Harden's been very focused when he's out there. Aldridge is a, was a good pickup. DeAndre Jordan's a good person. Uh, and when this Nets team's clicking, all the role players, when they step up, Joe Harris, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, Nick Claxton, who's going to be really good, I think, one day, they're a very good team. And they're, when they're all focused, it's a good thing. But what, how, did, how did this manage to just mess up the whole chain? And no one said, hey, tone it down, you know, like quit it. I, I just wanted to know because I look, like I just said, all these level-headed people and nothing was done about it. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you bring up a good point there about like kind of like a finals preview, which I think a lot of people are thinking this is going to be a finals preview as long as everyone's healthy. And like, I think it would be kind of a, I know that Nets, this Nets team don't, doesn't really need any more confidence because they're playing so well, despite the fact that they have some injuries. But I think it would be a confidence boost to go out and win a game like this without Harden. And, and I, I know that obviously the Lakers are banged up without LeBron and AD, but just kind of proving to yourself that, yeah, you know what, we're here not just to make a run in the playoffs, we're here to win it all. And I, and I think that right now, I want to transition kind of into that, that argument here is obviously um, we've talked about the injuries the Nets have had. I mean, KD was out for, I think, 23 games. He was out for a while. It seemed like a very short injury, ended up being much longer. Harden is out now on the same exact injury. It's also a hamstring. Um, which I think is a little scary as well. And then you have Irving going out for personal reasons. You know, he'll probably, he'll be fine. He'll be back. He'll be there. But Harden, KD are really important. I, like you said, I think it's KD and then Harden and then, and then Kyrie almost has like a very good number two there. So those two guys are extremely important right now. Their, their futures are, I wouldn't say uncertain, but I guess not guaranteed is a good way to put it. So my question to you, Aiello, is, do the Nets need all of their big three here to win it all and to make a run here in, here in the playoffs? Um, yeah, I would say so, especially with James Harden's uh, playoff history, you know, with the notorious choking. I mean, the most recent one that was just titanic in terms of bad was that Golden State series in 2018 where they missed 28 threes or something crazy like that. And he was front and center of everything. And he was just, just nothing was going in. 2019, he collapses again versus Golden State. He got gamed by Damian Lillard in 2014. And then last year in the bubble where he got shut down by LeBron James, it took him seven games to beat the Thunder. And he didn't really show up until the very, very, very last second in game seven. So... Yeah, it is important, I think, to have at least Kyrie out there. And if Durant's out there, that's also great. But given the playoff history of Harden, you have to find a way to cover for that. Now, they have, they have quite a few other role players, as we've said before. Blake Griffin, he's not really anything crazy in the playoffs, but given the minimized role that he has now, he could be good. I think Aldridge, he's got some good playoff games in his past. There was a 50-point game I think he had in like 2013 if I remember correctly, versus the Rockets or the Spurs. Um, DeAndre Jordan's going to just do his defensive thing. And uh, you know what? I think just having those two, Irving and Durant, that is, and they've hit big shots in their playoff careers, trust me. Some of the most iconic in, in the history of the sport. I think that they'll be fine as long as at least one of them is out there with Harden. And Harden just kind of accepts the fact, all right, I don't really have to be alpha alpha a i can just be one b Kyrie is amazing in the playoffs as we know so i'll just pass him the ball he can do his his crazy stuff joe harris is there um they've got bruce brown and spencer dinwiddie who uh they expect to come back that's going to be an interesting one sam and i know that you uh you're obviously the the closer observer of the nets than i am um Spencer Dinwiddie is very important to this team. I think his, his bench scoring, his bench playmaking, the way that he can fill in for pretty much any guard position on the floor, 
is really important. I think that that's a super, super luxury to have when you have a team like this and the versatility just kills other teams because they don't know how to defend it. So I feel like if Dinwiddie comes back, there's no shot. I think there's no shot anyone beats the Nets. But as long as you have Durant or Irving out there, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, Dinwiddie's a really interesting one, I agree. Because like originally, obviously, when he was hurt, it was ruled he's done for the year, and that was the decision. Steve Nash has been a little mysterious about whether he can come back and play. I, I think he's been quoted kind of saying that he will be back with the team in, in terms of from his rehab come playoff time. He will be there. He didn't say he'd be playing. He, he might be, you know, like there as a moral support. He might be there or he maybe could be off the bench and, and he could get some minutes. So we don't exactly know like where that stands. But I've, all I have heard is that his rehab is going a, a lot quicker than anticipated, which is great news here for the Nets, because I think he is a really big piece just to kind of make this team, like you said, a little bit more versatile, a little deeper. Um, because they do have some really good role players that I think kind of get forgotten, kind of get, and, and, and honestly are forgotten in this conversation of whether these guys, uh, the big three here, can, can come back from injury and be the best that they can be. But I want to touch on that briefly first is I think I, I do, I would be a little cautious if I were a Nets fan just because of the hamstring and how much problem that can be. And it's kind of a recurring injury. It doesn't just you know, it doesn't just happen once and then never again. A lot of people in their careers face that just throughout all sports in general, kind of just face that hamstring a lot of times in their career. So that worries me a little bit, both because KD had that and then now Harden has it like currently. So, and another thing too, is that KD was out for a lot longer than initially expected because I believe his hamstring was a lot worse than they initially thought. And the same thing could very well happen to Harden. Obviously, I don't think that'll happen. It, it sounded like only a, a pretty minor injury there, but you got to worry about that. I think if Harden can get back on the court here before the playoffs, give this team like maybe a week or so to play with that full big three, and then you add in guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, you add in guys like um, potentially Spencer Dinwiddie, um, and then Nick Claxton, and a bunch of other kind of role players to surround this big three if they're all healthy come playoff time or even maybe a week before just to give this team a little bit, get on a little bit of a roll coming into that first round matchup, I, I think you really have to watch out for them. But right now I would say I'm not a hundred percent optimistic just because it is a difficult injury and they have yet to play with each other. And I think playing with each other before the season ends is a really important thing just to kind of get used to being around each other, get that big three really comfortable. I know that it won't take too long. I, I think they're all, obviously they're all tremendous players, so they should be able to adapt pretty quickly. But I would say get, you know, the season is, is, is coming to an end here a lot faster than people think. So um, you're, you're running out of time here to get these guys all together, this big three all together to kind of have a week or so, to develop and, and get better. So then come playoff time, they're firing on all cylinders. I, I definitely agree. The health, I mean, Kevin Durant's leg is basically was destroyed last or two years ago. Yep. And that finals game, he tore his Achilles. He had the Jones fracture way back in Oklahoma city. So he has a history of lower body injuries. James Harden for the most part has been an iron man. I'd say, you know, he hasn't really had anything crazy. So uh, I feel like he'll be fine, but yeah, the, the hamstring one really sneaks up on you. It's definitely a, 
a deceiving injury because everyone just goes, oh, you have a Charlie horse, drink water. That's the solution. <laughs> but in the NBA, oh my God, this guy has a hamstring problem. He literally might not be able to play again. That's the fear because this is such a sneaky injury. So I feel like when the Nets pulled Harden from the Knicks game, and he, was, he looked very fine when he walked off. He, there was no limp. There was, there was no anything, which, was, which is a good sign. You have to just play it safe. I feel that Steve Nash, yeah, he is mysterious. Maybe he'll be even more mysterious with, oh, I'm going to designate Harden as injured, but we're going to make him play in practice. Secret chemistry building concept. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they fed him in Phoenix, but he must t- turn into some wizard. I don't know. But that's the thing is like they are being very, very cautious. That's yeah. something to know. And with KD, they were very cautious. I, I think. In a different scenario with, an, with a normal player and not a guy like Kevin Durant, he's probably back in the lineup weeks before Kevin Durant oh, was, yeah. I feel like. And, no and the same thing might be true with Harden. I, I feel like Harden is probably going to get kind of very much eased back into it. Like you said, he might be 100% at practice, but not playing in games. So, like, that's something to think about, too. I, I think that maybe makes, it, makes you a little bit more optimistic is that they are very cautious with these injuries. Yeah, I mean, you can never be too cautious, especially with a high commodity like, like Harden, mm-hmm. who I bet you every NBA team would kill to have. They would give up everything that they own. They'd give up the stadium, like their firstborn kids, just to have James Harden on their team. So I, you have to kind of protect the asset, I guess, in a way. Um, but I think that the Nets, if they get everyone healthy, if Steve Nash can just keep everyone at bay in terms of the personality things. Cause you know, the playoffs is that's the highest level of competition we have uh, in the NBA. So you got to keep that, keep everyone at bay. You got to keep everyone focused and you have to just make sure that the team plays together and you know, you're going to, you can lose. I think the net, the nets can lose a game in the playoff series. It's not uncommon that that won't happen. They can lose a game and they need to realize they can lose. So, if all just they can keep everything at bay, injuries are handled properly, which I feel like it will be, I, they'll be fine. I, w- I can assure Nets fans, coming from a Knicks fan who has seen atrocities left and right, this is, this is like us deciding what to have for lunch as a middle schooler. That okay? That You will be fine. Just deep, deep breath. Woo-ha. We're, you're going to be okay. You mentioned your Knicks. Let's get into him now here. A, oh, whole, no. a, whole, a whole New York <laughs> basketball show. It's not, oh, no, this year. It's not, it's not normally it is when it comes to Knicks talk. But um, the Knicks, obviously, they were winners Sunday night against the Raptors. It was 102 to 96. And that put, uh, puts the Knicks in eighth in the Eastern Conference. And they're just one game back of the sixth and seventh seed, the Celtics and the Hornets there. Um, so the Knicks, obviously, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show, having an incredible season. Definitely not what people were expecting um, pretty early on in the rebuild. But I must say, and I'm going to speak for you, Aiello, and I think you agree, is that in, for the Knicks to be competitive in April and fighting for a playoff spot, I think is a huge pleasure for every single Knicks fan. And honestly, for just New York in general. I, I think uh, the Knicks are New York's team. So having them competitive in April is definitely exciting. So um, how do you feel, Aiello, as the big, big Knicks fan that you are with one month to go here in the season and this Knicks team? Well, um, Sam, as I said on the last episode, 
this team will still never fail to give me a heart attack. Okay, <laughs> let's let's not get let's not get this twisted because they can still do that. But I am I don't think I could be more proud of uh the way that they've overachieved this season. You know, I don't know if anyone expected expected this. I knew I knew there was going to be an upgrade because Tom Thibodeau is usually not one to mess around with uh, fixing things. And he, he does put full effort into it. And I am shocked, genuinely shocked that they've turned it around as quickly as they have so far. I still feel like they're a couple of players away from being a force. This season's been a success. Nothing short of that. Julius Randle went to the all-star game. RJ Barrett is finally getting the respect that he has deserved. He is averaging 20 points, almost 21 points since March has started, I think, or mid-March. He's shooting close to damn near 40% in the last like three weeks from three. Uh, and he's, I, he's just gotten so much better. The team with Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, who's slowly coming along, and he's had his ups and downs, but he's been better. He'll be fine. Um, we look at Derek Rose, who's been very good for this team. Taj Gibson's come back. The grandpa, uh, father time, if you will. <laughs> I, it's been a fun season to watch. Now, as you know, late round draft picks, good chance they have some serious value for your team. Oh, yeah. We look at Malcolm Brogdon. We look at Karis LeVert as recent examples. Can look at another one, Mitchell Robinson, who's been hurt for the Knicks, but he's been a huge part of their success. The Knicks are definitely, I want to say, two or three players away from being really good, and I think they have to go get at least one of them in the draft. There's quite a few good guards entering. Um, Davion Mitchell, Adrian Butler, the two Baylor backcourt guys who have been really good. Corey Kispert, who's a shooting wing, who I really, really like. Um, James Boaknight from UConn. I mean, there's plenty, a plethora of players you can select from in this very loaded guard pool for this year. Obviously, they wouldn't have a shot at a Mobley, a Cunningham, a Suggs. You know, they don't have a shot at those guys. But if you can dig a little deeper in the draft like they did last year, and as they've been doing previous years, because some of those players have turned out to be pretty good, I feel like, they're one or two of those guys away from being consistent, and then they just have to go get an all-star. Now, that's obviously not easier. That's easier said than done. <laughs> but I feel like it's definitely possible. But this season has been nothing short of a success. There's definitely work that needs to be done. But last night's game, I want to talk, Sam, because mm -hmm. um, Toronto, they are a very competitive team. And I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I want to get this in. Pascal Siakam. <laughs> Might be the most overrated player in the NBA. It's it's very very possible that he is. He only has three moves: three pointer, straight drive to the basket, and spin move. Other than that, he can't. I don't I don't think he can do anything else. Okay. Last night, this guy towards the end of the game, he's they're on a fast break. I think it was off a turnover. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was on a fast break. Siakam is literally like a. Like a, like a giraffe running. He's like skipping, but he's not dribbling. And then he lays the ball up, and the refs go, oh, it's a travel. And Siakam's like, no, 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 replay, replay. He's begging Nick Nurse, go to the replay, go to the replay. It's like under two minutes left. I swear, I didn't travel. Everyone's just in the stadium like, dude, you didn't even bounce the ball like once. <laughs> so, and then the replay goes up on the big screen on the Jumbotron, and we're looking at it on the television. 
on the broadcast and the stream or whatever. And the guy didn't dribble. And he's, we're just like, you called to review this? Look, it, all, all credit goes to him for making the all-star team getting better, but he literally might be the most overrated player in the NBA. I, I just don't see it with him. I don't know why people love him. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that game, though, because yeah. that was, um, I mean, that was, a, that was a very good game. It was a fun and, uh, game, too. I, I think from, from a Knicks standpoint, too, a, a huge takeaway and what plays into, I think, their whole season is just like the ability of this team to fight and, and not really give up. And I know that sounds pretty cliche, but the, the Knicks just really have a ton of fight in them because, you know, I saw them in that game kind of blow a, a pretty decent lead that they seemed like they had a pretty good handle on the entire first half. And then things got away from them in the third quarter, you know, whether that be the Raptors, you know, like you said, a pretty good team, but also the Knicks kind of giving it away a little bit there, but, they still fought back. I mean, they still continued to play very well. And then, and then you saw how they did near there at the end. R.J. Barrett, obviously, with a huge clutch shot, which I think is also very important for this Knicks team, developing him. And, and like you said, him kind of proving to everybody that he is really this, this, uh, one of the leaders of this basketball team. And I think that's a guy that coming down the road as this Knicks team looks to further rebuild, like you said, with some draft picks, RJ Barrett is that guy that you want to keep on your team, a guy that you want to have maybe even as that star for your franchise, um, whether they go out and get someone in free agency, which they probably will do to really, you know, because this is a star driven league, but I really like RJ Barrett as that guy for the Knicks, obviously Julius Randall as well has been tremendous for them. But last night, I mean, I just see the fight of this team to be able to, um, and you've seen it, you know, this, you've seen it throughout the year. You know, you saw it with, uh, I, I bring up the Nets games that all the games that they played the Nets, they were able to keep those games really close. I believe one, if not two of them, they, they came back from pretty significant deficits there. And, and that's another example of that same exact thing, just the fight in this kind of team to, to prove themselves and, and just how well they've played all year is just so impressive for me that honestly, I just um, tip my hat to Tom Thibodeau. I tip my hat to RJ Barrett and Julius Randall for all that they've done to kind of lead this team. Um, and it's going to be very exciting for them. And I, I think come playoff time in relating to this, the fight that this team has, I don't expect them if they do make the playoffs, this next team, I don't expect them to honestly win at all. Um, much less to get past the first round, but I don't think that's a big deal for Knicks fans. But I will say this, I think, if you're a, a, a highly rated team in the Eastern conference, having to play the Knicks in the first round is not the best just because this team has a lot of fight. I think this team is going to play you hard for, for the entire game, all four quarters. And I think that goes a long way. Teams are not going to be able to just walk through a game, walk through a first round series against the Knicks. It's going to be hard fought. And I think that's really all you can ask for from this team, which like you said, kind of has exceeded expectations so much. Yeah, no, I def totally agree. Uh, and you said they, I don't, you don't expect them to win. I don't either. And I'm, I'm, I'll take one win in the first round. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll be happy. I'm good. Mm -hmm. just, just buy me a sandwich from the local deli. I'll, I'll take, <laughs> I'm good. I don't need that much to be happy. But if you look at the blueprint from what we see, I think what we're going to see is they're this going they're, they want to be this incredibly defensive physical and hardworking i'm not going to call them well coached yet because there are still a lot of flaws with things like switching and uh they need some guys to put on some weight but they're better coached 
communication sometimes is sloppy, but I mean, you expect that with every team. So they're definitely in, on the right track. Um, as far as who they can add, I mean, I don't know. Do they want to wishful thinking here? Do, you, do they want to hope Kawhi Leonard just says, screw this, I'm going to New York because the Clippers are a clown show? I don't know. I mean, I, I highly doubt that'll happen. I would like to see it happen, but it won't happen. I think you kind of have to build uh, through sneaky moves. And like we said, with the hamstring injury, you got to be sneaky. You have to be a deceptive uh, general manager, and that's Leon Rose. And I think he's done a good job so far. Who they can add to, I guess, maybe make them better. Uh, the first couple people that come to mind, Avery Bradley, I guess, since Thibodeau's the connoisseur of defense, I guess maybe having him, they might may or may not pay Alec Burks. Uh, I don't know what his price range is. I mean, if it's anything over 12 and a half, 13, I definitely would say no. Lonzo Ball has been circulated. Bradley Beal, who his name gets thrown out pretty much to every team that exists in the league. Um, the Carl Anthony Towns stuff, I feel like we're a year away from that really becoming a thing because we've seen we've seen blips of it. But as I think, Sam, you, you would agree when players enter like the second to last year of their contract or the last year is when the trading really starts yeah. to snowball, you know, so I don't think that'll happen just yet unless it's a draft day trade, which I think would be lunacy, but that's just me. Spencer Dinwiddie is uh, going to be an expiring mm -hmm. next year, I believe. Yep. He, yeah, he is. So you got to worry about that. Maybe they get him. I don't know. Uh but there's a lot of roads that they can go down. It's just a matter of do you want to build through the draft and have a product that will last longer? Or do you want to go in the direction of, oh, you know what? Let's just Band-Aid everything. Let's pull a Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> let's sign Tom Brady and then just scrap it up and let's just low-key win <laughs> the Super Bowl. Uh, do, you want, like, do you want to do the Band-Aid method or do you want to build a product that'll just last you longer? I, there's a lot of directions they can go in. It just... Do they feel comfortable with whichever one they want to go in? And do they want to, or they want to shake up the, do they want to shock the world in the words of Muhammad Ali? Do you want to shock the world? Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. I, I think the Knicks kind of have all the pieces um, in their favor to kind of do whatever they want to do for the future. They're in a really good spot. And, and that's the bottom line is you got to look at that though. The Knicks are in a very good position, obviously outperforming this year. To go out and get that star and get in and, and, and a star-driven league, like I mentioned, get that guy that you can really build around and continue to rebuild around. Um, you know, Tibbs, we'll see what direction he decides to go in Leon Rose as well. But overall, just an exciting time uh, for the Knicks. Um, before and I the get, Nets, too. Yeah, and the Nets, too. I mean, it's a New York basketball show. Let's and, go. <laughs> and there's a reason for that, because it's just an exciting time to be in New York here for watching NBA basketball. So that's some, certainly exciting for the next month or so. Uh, quickly before we get out of here, Ayello, I want to get your uh, what you think about this Miles Bridges dunk on Sunday. If you haven't seen it, look it up because we can't even begin to describe how tremendous it was. Ayello, what are your thoughts on that dunk? Uh, it was it was impressive. Okay, I'll say that. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that he can go back that far with his arms and just <laughs> basically turn into a Jedi and use the Force and fly over somebody is terrifying. <laughs> but that Anthony Edwards dunk, oh my, oh my God. Yeah, there's, think, there's, a, there's a conversation for Duncan yeah. the Year here between no, those there two, is. I would say, for sure. It really is. It's tough to pick because they're both so impressive, but Edwards was just out of nowhere. He's, <laughs> yeah. 
and the guy's name that he dunked on Utah Wantanavi, Utah <laughs> did not want to be on that poster. I can tell you that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, I it's will say this pick. though. It's really tough to pick, Sam. I'm it it is pick. tough. It is tough. I can't. I'm not going to pick. I'm not going to be able to pick. But my point is, is that um, what I want to get at before we get out of here is that that call. The whoever is the commentator here for the Hornets, and I'm not sure exactly who it is, <laughs> but I don't know if you heard that call. But that was incredible, that unbelievably was so energetic. It made the dunk even better. I was like worried about this guy's health because of how much he was yelling. But it was an incredible call just to an incredible dunk. So I think that adds maybe to the dunk of the year. Just the commentator, you got to turn the sound up there. Oh on my that God, dunk. they're the best. Yeah. They're so funny. So that's uh, to Michael for hiring them too. Yeah, 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 for sure. So um, that's all uh, we're going to have here for today's episode. Uh, one more month to go. Exciting stuff, like we mentioned, in New York basketball. I'm Sam Davis with Thomas Aiello. Thank you for listening to Pick and Pod, WFUV's NBA podcast. We'll be back next week. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports. Have a great week.